Howdy, friends. You're listening to teaching from our college ministry here at FBC Bryan. We hope you enjoy this message from our college pastor, John Davison, as we journey through the book of 2 Timothy. If you have any questions, please reach out through social media, or you can visit our website at fbcbryan.org slash college. We hope you enjoy. Hey, killer job, guys. Um, I know, I think that last hand was for Jesus, but you can thank these guys behind me too. Um, one more time with your hands by putting them together. James, man, thanks, thanks for taking time to be here and hang out. We, we like when you hang out. Second uh, Timothy chapter one. We're going to keep going through this. I, uh, I've said this before. I want to charge you in this. It, it's pretty easy for us to sing songs craftily written uh, by men out loud um, because they, they're easy and they sound good and they feel good. Um, but I, I need you to catch what, what, you, just, what you just did and, and singing holy and singing worthy and singing that you're worth all of our praise and, and those things. You're putting yourself in a position um, that is pretty important that Paul didn't have like the, uh, the ability to because he didn't have like the cool worship leader out in front of him um, setting the stage for what he's doing with Timothy. He's in a prison. We, we know this. He's been sentenced to death in the prison. It's, it's a pretty kind of gloomy time for Paul. It's not the ideal situation for him to be speaking the gospel uh, to people outside of something that he finds unbelievably valuable. And we're going to see that highlighted as, as we kind of jump into what he's doing here in uh, Second Timothy. So I'm just going to start reading, and we're going we're gonna to keep going. We're going to start in verse 8. We got through verse 7 last week, and we're just going to jump in. The first word, so. So. It's an important word because so implies that there was something else that was said that's of sort of importance. And so we're just going to go back two verses. Therefore, I could keep playing this game. Therefore is there for a reason, and we could just keep going back, but we're not going to. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given, you, given us, you, us, a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and of sound judgment. With that understanding, Timothy, I, I recognize you have fear. You're a little bit timid. There's these things going on. I need you to hear this. So, verse 8, don't be ashamed. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. And I, and I said that with the song because it's easy for us to sing the testimony of the Lord. And this is a safe place. And you should be doing that. It's right for you to gather with believers and declare like how good God is out loud and be encouraged by that's why God set it up this way. It's, the, it's kind of a motivation. It's your fuel to, to leave from this place and get excited about those things and then go out and to share them. But this is where he's in a different spot here. So, so don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Why, why is he saying that? Is Timothy's in Ephesus. Ephesus isn't like the ideal place right now to be living out your faith. Ephesus is surrounded by idols and idol worship and, and worship of the government and worship of a lot of other things that was really pushing against Christianity to the point of, of persecution and going after them. And so he's, he's trying to rile them up. Don't be scared. He didn't give us a spirit of fear. So don't be ashamed of the testament of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he has given us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher. 
And that is why I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. We're going to try to get through verse 18, but I'm going to stop there for just a second because I need us us to see some things as as he starts this. Paul is encouraging Timothy and he gives him three exhortations to be like, hey, this is how you should live. These are things that you need to hold on to. And these exhortations are great for us to grab a hold of too. You can write them in your Bible. You can take notes, whatever. We, we built some slides for you so you can just look up on the screen if you want, grab a picture of them. I don't, I don't care what you do with that. The first one is, is pretty straightforward. He's like, hey, you can't be ashamed of the gospel. The first thing, just you can't be ashamed of the gospel. What does he mean by that? You can't be ashamed of the gospel that you are called to share. I mean, this is it. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. And this is something that is not implied that you're like, well, I'm not ashamed of it. I just keep it inside of me where it's really, really safe. And I love that it's inside of me. No, he's saying you live in such a way that you're not ashamed to share this gospel with people. It's the first thing he calls us to. Jesus leaves the planet. He's like, hey, what? Go. Go and make disciples of all nations. That implies that you open your mouth and you share the gospel to people. Yes, I understand and I 100% agree that there's a part of sharing the gospel that is how you live. There's a part of sharing the gospel that's being the hands and feet of Jesus. But he never gives you an out of just living out the gospel. It says, how will they know if they have not heard? That verse doesn't say, how will they know if they have not seen? You open your mouth and you share the gospel. This first thing is like, you can't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Uh, like, I, I love this. And, and this is what you're going to walk in. Even in the bubble... Even in the, the belt buckle of the Bible belt down here in Aggieland, where it is 100% safe for the most part to be a Christian, even at the bars, even partying on the weekends, like you, you still, it's like, hey, I got to get up early to go to church tomorrow. It, that, that's a, 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 a thing that is kind of normal. But at the same time, I think some of you are experiencing this. You're, you're coming across more and more people, even in our context, that make a mockery of what we believe. They are offended, or they're trying to prove you wrong, or they're, gonna, they're like, hey, we need to have a conversation about that. They're just kind of aggressive in, in their belief. And this started a long, long time ago. It started on the cross with people mocking Jesus. And then people have been mocking the cross ever since then. One of the earliest um, representations of like mocking the crucifixion, some of you may know this, the uh, Alex Minos Graffito. It's a sketch they found in Rome. I found a picture of it. This is, this is like the earliest graffiti ever. God just like carves this into some rock. This is the cross. Jesus has a donkey head. And there's this boy, there's this boy down here mocking him. Some of you are wondering why Jesus' buns are out. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's not a great artist. We didn't say that this dude was professional. This was the first one that they found though. And there's this little boy that's mocking him. And then there's some Greek words underneath there. And, and basically, this guy is, is saying, the Greek words there says, Alex Minos worships God. Um, and, and it's basically just this like mockery of the cross. And he's like, this is the God that he worships, this donkey-headed like figure on the cross. It started a long time ago. It's going to continue to echo. And, and his, Paul's early like, encouragement to Timothy is, you can't be ashamed of our Lord. You have to walk in boldness for Christ. One of the greatest things that you can do as a believer is jump onto a couple websites that talk about modern day martyrs of the faith and hear their stories. This is, this is happening in our day where Christians are called to renounce their faith and they stand boldly for Jesus. They stand boldly for God 
and they have their skin ripped off of them in public. There's still crucifixions that happen in public. There are beheadings that happen because people will not renounce their faith in public. And some of their final words are some of the most powerful things that you can read because these people are not ashamed. They have a way out. Just renounce your God. And some of you are like, well, if I'm there and I'm, I'm on my knees and somebody's fixing to, to, to take my head off with the sword, I could like pretend. I could be like, okay, I renounce my God and I could go back to my house and worship him. Like if we're honest, that's our play. And these brave like men and women are going, no, my God has been faithful to me all of my life and I will be faithful to him at this point no matter what it costs me because they have the mindset that Paul does. What's Paul's mindset? To live as Christ, that's great. To die is better. Like to die is gain. Like can you imagine like modern day you're at that point it's like I'm gonna chop off your head uh, unless you renounce Jesus. No, go ahead and do it because I wanna meet him. Uh, excuse me? <laughs> End it because like this is not fun. By the way, you with the sword, me here, you know, this isn't pleasant. But if you kill me, I get him. Like for eternity, go ahead and just fast forward that. This is the boldness that he's walking in. He's going, you can't be ashamed to share this gospel. And then he takes a turn, or of me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed of the gospel or of me. I don't think Paul's trying to get a hype man in Timothy. This is what Paul's experiencing. Most of his friends have probably abandoned him. We read that. He's got a couple guys that have stood near, but a lot of people are leaving. We read the history of the church of Ephesus. A lot of people are leaving that church. They're abandoning their faith under persecution. And he's going, hey, don't, don't be ashamed to share this. And also, don't be ashamed of me. And how many times, if, if you think about it, you have that radical Christian friend who stops, like at the restaurant, says, hey, uh, ma'am, let me ask you a question. Scale of one to 10, like how religious are you? And you're going, oh, please don't, no. <laughs> I just wanna eat my fajitas. And she's like, well, maybe a three. Well, like how confident are you that if you died that like you would get into heaven? And you start to feel awkward. <laughs> you're like, what is he doing? Sharing his faith in public. This is what, this is what they were walking in. And so you'd be like, well, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but when my friends start sharing it, it gets really, really awkward. This is Mark 8, 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in glory of his father with the holy angels. Whoever is ashamed of me, Jesus, and my words, scripture, in this generation, which he calls adulterous and sinful, the son of man will also be ashamed of him. And he's going, this is what you need to do in your, in your cultural context, which is just as real to us today. Like, you can't be ashamed of these words. You can't be ashamed to share these words with people. You can't be ashamed of the gospel, and you can't be ashamed of those that are doing it. You can't be ashamed just to, like, walk beside them and encourage them and be a hero for them. That's why we talked about it today. Like, New York is such a sweet place. There's some weird parts about that trip that sometimes if you ask people that have gone, like, hey, I wish some things went different. One of the best parts of it is we get to go into these spaces and we get to watch People engage with other people from other nations and go, they're in a conversation. I get to pray. I get to encourage them from a distance. Sometimes I'm going to walk up to them and help. Um, it's just a cool part of that entire trip where you get to see the gospel come alive and be a champion for people that are doing it. And so I encourage you, like mission trips, that, that happens. And so find one again and just jump into that. That's his first kind of encouragement. He's going, hey, don't be ashamed of the gospel and don't be ashamed of me. The second one, the second point, second exhortation that Paul leans into Timothy. First, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Second, if you walk in this unashamed aspect of the gospel, this is what's going to happen. You're going to suffer. Hurrah, that's our encouragement. 
Don't be ashamed of it. And when, when you begin to walk in that authority, hear me, you're going to suffer. We read it. I'm just going to read part of it again to you, starting halfway through verse 8. Instead, share in the suffering for the gospel. How do we do that? First point, how do we suffer? Relying on the power of God. You share in the suffering of the gospel, and this is how you rely on the power of God, like, like Timothy. Like we have to know, we, we are weak. You are a common vessel. Okay, how skilled you are, how pretty you think you are, how strong you are, all of those things, you're just a common vessel. And by God's power, you get to endure the suffering that comes along with being a Christ follower. There's this unbelievable, like, beautiful mystery that is echoed all throughout Scripture, this, this concept that your strength comes from your weakness. Jesus supplies this sufficient strength to his, fa- to his followers who endure, like, opposition and weakness and persecution. He becomes their strength. This is Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. This dude's a little crazy. So I take power and pleasure in weaknesses, in insults, in catastrophes, in persecutions, in pressures because of Christ, for when I'm, when I'm weak, then he is strong. And he's going, hey, I'm going to suffer for the gospel, and I'm going to suffer by the power of God. Why? Verse 9, for he saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, teacher. And that is why I suffer. I suffer these things. This is what he says. He's like, you you suffer how? By the power of God. But, But why? Why do we suffer? He just said it. We suffer because the gospel is worth it. That's why I suffer these things. I'm not ashamed because I know whom I've believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to guard what, is he entrust, what he has entrusted to me until that day. We suffer by his strength, but we suffer because we look at the gospel and we go, hey, this is 100% worth it. This is why I think in every one of Paul's letters, not so much in 2 Timothy, there's a functional assumption that's happening from 1 Timothy, but in all the other letters to the churches, he starts really the first two chapters by going, here's the gospel, here's the gospel, understand the gospel, know the gospel, get this down into you, make this like your lifeblood because this is what you need to do. You're going to suffer. And the only way that you're going to get through the suffering is if you believe that the gospel's worth it. That's it. That's Holy Spirit empowered. That, that, I think that grows in you the more that you lean into him, the more that you study scripture, the more that you memorize scripture, the more that you hang out with believers that are walking this way and you find that encouragement in that. And that's how you, by the power of God and why as you begin to walk in that, you go, I believe that the gospel is worth it. Like the greatness of God is my salvation. 
And as, as God is sanctifying me through his truth, the word is truth, I'm leaning into this, then I'm called to be more and more like him. I'm, I'm becoming more and more holy. I'm becoming more sanctified. I'm being called to live a clean life before God. And then, and then eventually, like God's going to completely glorify us. But that entire journey is just all about us going, we believe that the gospel is worth it. And I want to reflect that to people. The things that you find most valuable, you show off. That's just true. Think about that. Think about what you brag about to your friends. Is it a trophy with shoes in it? I, I, I will. Like I'll, I'll win this argument with a couple of you that fantasy football is a little bit of luck. It's a lot of skill. All right? There's other things that you get real excited about and you want to you brag about, right? It's CrossFit. Yeah. <laughs> it's Aggie Sports. It's the ability the, or the strange reason that you ran an Ironman when you were training for cross country. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> the things that we're most passionate about, we're going to brag about. And as the gospel rises up into that space, this is why you don't become ashamed of the gospel, because you understand that it is worth it. And then, and then we look at the, <laughs> the how and the why, but, but then the when. When do we suffer for the gospel? Well, we should expect to suffer for the gospel when we are making the gospel known. Again, in verse 10, this has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death, and he's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed. And so he, he recognizes this and he is sharing this gospel to people. And he's like, hey, this is good news. And this good news has been brought to light to me. And this, this is basically implying that we must take or we must make the gospel known to people so that they can hear and believe in this Jesus. In this one passage, like you can look at this and you can observe how God has not only ordained the end of salvation, but he's also ordained the means of salvation. And I'm going to say that, and I'm gonna, I'll give this blanket statement because maybe you're in this room or not. There's, there's people, and I don't mind saying this, there's people that go to Bible study and you're going to argue predestination versus free will. There's been people who've been doing this for about a thousand years and haven't figured it out yet, and I promise you they're smarter than you are. Okay? Now, it's worth a conversation, and I'm not dogging on that side of it. But hear me, it's God's fault. And the cool part is, is he invited you into it. It's his fault. And he goes, hey, you got a role to play. You get to speak it out loud. You get to share it with people. You get to see them possibly respond. Do I know how it completely works together? I do not. I wish I did. I wish I could explain it to you in a cute little like sentence or two, but we can't. It's one of the mysteries of God. Memorize Deuteronomy 29, 29. Just grab a hold of that. There are things that belong to the Lord and you will spend eternity trying to figure them out and you won't get there. Okay, and that's humbling because we think as educated college students or some of you are trying to get there that you can figure everything out and thankfully you worship a God that you can't figure out. Otherwise, he's not worth your worship. But in this one little chunk of scripture, we see that God has not only ordained how we come to be saved, but also the means by which we come to be saved. It's all wrapped up in his grace. It's experienced through the presentation of the gospel, which you get to play a role in. Don't be ashamed about that. It's, it's a miraculous mystery that you can, as you suffer for the gospel, it happens most often when you are making the gospel known. And I want to hear those stories. 
want you to come to me like, man, I'm suffering for the gospel right now. I will assume right then it's not just because you're cool. I will assume that you're suffering for the gospel because you're sharing it with people and they're coming at you and it's difficult. You, you want to know what, what highlights the loss? What, I'll go this way. You read the book of Revelation at the very beginning of it, it says, there is a blessing to those who study these words. That blessing is also sort of a curse in my mind because that blessing basically is that you have a greater understanding of what happens when somebody dies without a relationship with Jesus. And in that blessing, you're stirred up to love your enemies and to love your neighbor and to love your best friends and to love them to the point that you have to share Christ with them. And you wanna know what's painful? When they reject it. You don't know what suffering is, is when you share your faith with your best friend and they go, I don't want any part of that. Like that makes people not sleep at night. That's suffering. Okay, it's not that I went on a plane and I went overseas and I tried to share my faith with somebody and they, they called me a stupid American and I had to come back home. What if it's your roommate who you have to see every day? Classmates that the Lord is stirring up an affection for you, in you, for them, and, and you, you see them in their lostness and it's just breaking you. That's that suffering part of it. I mean, we're just inviting you into it. Like happily, I'm inviting you into it. Why? Because the gospel's worth it. It is. And this is what he's just like screaming to him in his context. He's like, hey, you're going to suffer for the gospel. And in that, like not being ashamed of the gospel and suffering for the gospel, his last one is this. You have to guard the gospel. You have to, you have to guard this gospel. That's what he says. I got to quit closing my Bible. Let's open it back up. We'll go halfway through verse 12. Because I know whom I've believed and I am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. This is the first part of this guarding. Verse 13, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, guard the good deposit. This is the gospel. He's basically saying that this good deposit is a beautiful deposit. When you understand the beauty of this, then, then it, its worth rises and you're not ashamed of it. And you're going to share it with people. This is what he's saying. Guard that beautiful, guard that good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Verse 15, you know that all of those in the province of Asia have deserted me. This goes back to this like, don't forget me in this prison in verse 8. Everyone else has deserted me also. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of those that are sharing it. But all of these people have deserted me, including... Uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes. It's the only time that these two bros, I'm assuming guys, are mentioned in the Bible. For eternity, they put on blast because they did what? Abandoned the church. That's painful. He, he shows those that are ashamed and walked away with these two guys. Verse 16, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus. Because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. I love this picture because we think like, okay, we can look up on the Google like what prison Paul's in and whatnot. This bro's hidden. And this guy who's not ashamed of the gospel is going around like, hey, anybody seen Paul? You know, the guy that was arrested, I didn't have a conversation with him. Where is he at? What jail is he in? Can we go find him? I mean, he's kind of down in a dungeon, but, but I, I need to have a conversation with him. I want to go encourage him. I want to go and refresh him. I want to go and visit him because I'm not ashamed of his change, chains. He diligently searched for me and he found me. Verse 18, may the Lord grant that he obtained mercy from him on that day. You know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. Like I love these verses because when we think about the gospel, and I mentioned this in week two or in week one, and, and I need you to hear this again because maybe it's an encouragement to me too. There's these people out there that are really gloom and doom that if 
if this generation doesn't get it, then the church is just like one generation away from dying. This is not what this says. Really, really clear. I believe and I'm persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me, that what's been entrusted to him is the gospel. God is guarding it. Verse 14, guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living and active and he's, he's moving to help you guard this gospel even more. You got the ultimate guardian on your side. You got the Father and the Holy Spirit purchased by Jesus's blood. You just get to walk in that. It's unbelievable. This guardian that we have of the gospel but then he, he takes that and he goes, I'm, I'm confident in God's faithfulness to, to guard like he has my, my future. He's going to protect, he's going to preserve the future gospel. But hear me, Timothy, you got to work at this. You, you have a guardian that is protecting you, but know this, like this is going to be effort for you. This is, this is something that you have to be working at. A couple of things that he, he pulls out of there. Hold on, verse 13 to the pattern of sound teaching that you heard from me. Guard the good deposit. These are just words of effort, words of work. Hold on to that. Pursue sound teaching. Like make sure that you're, you're filling your life with things that are just biblically gospel-centered and, and those things are stirring you up more than other things. Hold on to them. Guard that deposit through the Holy Spirit. It's just, it's just work to get to that point. Now hear me, the gospel is not just like really, really healthy words. When, when it says sound teaching, it, it's talking about healthy teaching, but it's not just healthy words that are the outline of your teaching, but, but this gospel is beautiful. It's a deposit that is living and active in you. And because you're going to come against heretics, people that are just irritated at Christianity, people who are aggressive atheists that are offended by even the mention of God, people who are just moralistic deist individuals, which means that they think that if they just do enough good things, God's kind of absent anyway. He like set it into creation and you know, hit a button and we've just kind of been acting like how we need to. And if I do enough good things, then I'm gonna get to heaven. He's gonna be like, hurrah, way to go. You're gonna be surrounded by a bunch of people that are trying to take your attention off of this and without recognizing the beauty and holding on to the pattern and leaning into the, the glory that is the gospel, then those things will get your attention. But, but it's beautiful just the way that it is. If we'll just lean into the simple gospel and understand it this way, it, it's motivation enough for you to live. I read this, this book not too long ago called The Archer and the Arrow. Philip Jensen is an Australian pastor. Uh, when I read it, I, I read it in an accent just for fun. That's whatever the voice in my brain does. I, don't, I can't control it. And he, he talked about the gospel and really like the, what we do to guard the gospel, like what, what our job is in the gospel. And, and he started talking about the Mona Lisa. So the most famous painting it resides in this like bulletproof case in the Louvre. It's considered so valuable that it's only been outside of the Louvre on two, occasion, two occasions in the last 100 years. And uh, he, he broke this down. He said, can you imagine what might have happened if those responsible for delivering the painting decided that the Mona Lisa was a little short on artistic mean? What if they had whipped out a paintbrush in transit and added a nice little floral pattern on the border and then updated her dress to, to like a duck egg blue color just because it matched the fashion of the day? 
the authors rightly say that their job was not to improve the painting, but to deliver it to its original, or but to deliver it in its original condition. How much more the word of God? This is not something that needs to be dressed up. It's not something that has to look even more fancy and glorious than it is by itself. For those of us that are called into ministry, which hear me, that's every one of you in this room. You don't have to be a pastor to be called into ministry. You get to be, you get to be ministerial architects, ministerial doctors, ministerial teachers, and, and you're gonna have a ministry all over the world we're praying. For those of us that are called into ministry, everybody, then this passage is so unbelievably relevant because you're called to protect this gospel in its beautiful form We have to protect it from intruders and from wolves and from heretics who want to add to or who want to take away from the purity of this gospel. And so in order to do that, you keep studying it. You keep exemplifying it in your life. You keep guarding it. You keep teaching it so that all people may know it and so that others can communicate it to a world that so desperately needs it. This task, hear me, like for me, this task is humbling and it's scary sometimes. My, my wife, um, those of you that know like our story a little bit uh, from the podcast even, I got a, an upper respiratory infection the second week of December and I couldn't get rid of it. I've never really been, been like sick in that area before I went to the doctor after like five weeks of it or three weeks of it, I was fixing to preach and I couldn't breathe really when I started talking. And she's like, you ever used an inhaler? I was like, no. I'm strong. Um, she made fun of me about that. Uh, and so she gave me this rescue inhaler that had like steroids and stuff in it. She's like, take this one today. It's going to help kill what's going on in your lungs. But then here's another inhaler that's just for the normal kind of inhaler. Me and Finley have matching ones now. That boy has asthma so bad. Um, I can't make fun of him anymore about being weak. I didn't do that before. Uh, but... <laughs> We have matching inhalers now, and, and he was like, Mom, have you seen my inhalers going to track practice? Which I still think is a bad idea for an asthmatic, but he, he's doing it. Um, and, and so he's looking for his inhaler, and I was like, well, I got mine in my backpack. I was just bragging. I keep it there. And she's like, why do you still have that thing? I said, every time when I get up to preach or to teach in front of college students, like, I can't breathe. And she's like, why is that? I was like, I think it's just because I'm nervous. I've always been nervous. She's like, you're nervous to get up in front of people? I was like, girl, we've been married for 17 years. Like, you have to know that when I get up before people, I'm nervous. And, and she, she's seen me, and she's seen me grow and evolve in my teaching style. And so she thinks that the nerves have faded. And I can present myself sort of unnervous. But, but this task of opening up God's word and sharing the gospel in front of you is scary. And it's humbling except for this. Like, I don't have to do anything to it. I just have to read it to you and then explain to you what I see and what people smarter than me have seen and and kind of share some of those things with you. But we find the strength to be able to stand for the gospel in the face of suffering, in the face of difficulties, in the face of maybe even just practice. You grow in that and your boldness grows in that. And you become a, a warrior who has been battle-tested for it. And so you learn how to suffer, and then you learn how to guard the gospel because you have a job in the gospel. And that job is just to step onto the side of the unashamed. He talked about those guys. There's two bros. We don't even want to say their name again, P and H, um, that are ashamed of the gospel and have abandoned the church forever. I'll put them on blast. And there's this one friend, Nisiphorus, who is for me, in fact, he is, he is so for me. You, some of you need to hear this. 
as you begin to become like this type of guardian for the gospel and, and trying to lean into people, like what is it going to take for you when you would go, well, I'm not going to be a pastor because I'm scared to death of that. I'm not gonna be a worship leader because if you heard me sing, you would all leave. And I'm not going to, you, you begin to think about that and you go, so what type of ministry am I gonna do if, if it's not visible, if I'm not a Bible study leader or if I'm not really skilled in something? A, a lot of times we highlight those and I think we, we do so poorly. But what Paul does here on this last guy, and I think all of us kind of need to hear this, the, the bro who lands on the unashamed side, Paul says, I love this guy. On, in contrast to the, to the people who deserted me, Onesiphorus, like he, he longed to be with me. And Paul says, would you grant mercy to him on that last day? Because he wasn't ashamed of my chains. Verse 16. Would, would, you, would you give him mercy? Because he came to comfort me. He was refreshing to me. He searched for me. He found me and was an encouragement to me. And, and I love that Paul does this here, like highlights this one guy who's just an encourager. But this is one of Paul's gifts. We, we would say that Paul's one of the most gifted writers, probably pastors, arguably the greatest missionary that there's ever been. He had all of that going for him. And you can read over and over what he does. In the final chapter of, Rome, of Romans, the final chapter of Romans, Paul's closing comments include 33 people that he called friends. 33 people that he, he believed to be ministry allies. 33 people that he was praying for constantly, that he found encouragement from, that he considered to be gifts of God's grace in his life. And so you may not have this gift, and you should be thankful for it. You may not have the gift that the band has, and you should probably be thankful for that too. But you know what gift you can have that's going to breathe life into all spaces? Be an encourager. Be somebody who searches out for people who also like love the gospel and encourage them in that. Be refreshing to them in that. Pray for them in that. This is, this is why he admires and prays for Onesiphorus. He's like, you're refreshing. You weren't ashamed of me. You searched for me. And this refreshment brought energy. You, you probably met some of my physical needs, but more than that, like you just refreshed my spirit by being loyal, by being supportive. And he did so often. He wasn't just some like, here one minute, gone the next kind of friend. He did so often as he searched him out. I love that. And Paul says he diligently searched for me in verse 17. This language suggests that Onesiphorus searched um, with this singular intent of finding Paul. We talked about it really not knowing where he was at, but we can assume that his situation is terrible. And he's grateful for this friend and his steadfast pursuit of him. He's grateful for his encouragement so much, for, so, much so that he's like, hey, would he obtain mercy on the last day? And I think all of us can walk in that unashamed, sacrificial service to God that is echoed into the lives of people who are doing the same. When we, when we think about what it looks like to be unashamed of the gospel, to guard the gospel, to walk in the gospel, one of our Bible study leaders said this during our Bible study leader meeting today, and I told him I was gonna steal it. 127, this verse comes alive. When, when Paul is going out to live as Christ, to die as gain, I would rather be off of this planet, but whatever happens, verse 27, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you are standing firm 
in one spirit, and you are linked up, you've locked arms, and you are striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's it. This is what he's calling us to. And that's your response. And hear me, it's going to be much, much easier for you to link arms with people if you're an encourager, if you breathe life into spaces. But, but I'm not taking shots at anybody, but if you're just like discouraging and stirring up drama and not passionate about the gospel, it's going to come to the point where guys are like, no, mm-mm. Like, this is important, and we're in a battle, and bro, you're discouraging. So stand behind me for a little bit. We're going to take some arrows until you're ready. Then you can get back up here and link arms with us. Be this type of person. Be the encourager to the point that we look at it and go, may the sovereign God who saves us by his grace, who calls us, may he raise up an army of like sacrificial faithful servants who echo the gospel into really, really dark places. May this room be filled with people like that. Let me pray for you, then we'll worship. God, we, again, thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenging parts of it. We thank you for the parts that that stir us uh, in positive and even sometimes in negative ways. God, we thank you uh, for Paul's passion and how it is echoed into Timothy's life and the things that he's calling him to. And we thank you that these words are just as applicable now as they were then. And so for students, may they not be ashamed of the gospel. May they they know it. May it echo into the places that you've placed them. May they they learn that, that in that unashamed pursuit of the gospel that they're going to suffer in spaces and in their suffering they're going to have to link arms with people who are going to help them guard that in their lives so may may they surround themselves with people who are going to stand and who are going to strive and who are going going to battle with them for the gospel not so that a ministry looks good not so that they look good but because we believe that the gospel is worth it no matter what it costs us as we read about modern day martyrs and what it costs them, as we read about Paul and him going, hey, just go ahead and end this because, because there is better. But if I'm gonna live, it's going to be Christ. May those words just stir us to response. And so in this place, if, if we've been struggling with that, of doing this alone and kind of ashamed, may, may we learn to link arms with people tonight. May we find that person tonight who can be in that, that encourager to us. For those in this room that maybe that don't know you and don't even understand what this looks like, they've they've probably functioned in a ashamed of the gospel position for a long time. And in that shame, they haven't been quick to speak. And in that shame, they've sort of abandoned their faith. May you stir them back up. May your spirit draw them. May we see their faithful response to that tonight. Uh, but, but in all of these, may we not miss it. May we, may we not miss the season that you've put us in as, as college students in a college town surrounded by the nations, an opportunity to make you famous in ways that are gonna echo for a long time. God, we thank you for this position. May we not miss it. May we not be ashamed. May we walk in that as encouragers. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You guys stand up.